Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is XJob Downloaded. And today I'm going to interview Scott Methven. Is that, have I pronounced that correctly? You have indeed, Paul, yes. Well, that, that's I'm getting good at this because I'm talking to people from all over the place and pronunciation of surnames is, is really important. Now, we first met or spoke to each other some time ago uh, when it was a veteran's 100th birthday and you'll be pleased to know that he's 102 he hasn't been too well but he's still kicking along mate so um and I will be really I'm really grateful for your support on that but where did it all start for Scott what was what was where were you born and how did you get to where you are now so I'm um, from a small village uh I'll test your I'll test your names here uh, a small village called Garganuk Garganuk <laughs> So it was a small place called Gurgunuk, which is just outside Stirling. So as the crow flies, if you if you ever head up to Stirling you, uh, and you're heading north, uh, you'll see Stirling Castle. And it's kind of out to the front of Stirling Castle. So sort of going over towards um, a, sort of the Erskine Bridge Road um, and heading out towards Kippen. So that, that's where I grew up. Um, and a small village there. It was a, it was a one pub, one school place, uh, really, really small. And I learned, I learned to play the pipes. I was a, a keen football player. That was always your focus, isn't it? It's always football or sports. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I did a bit of rugby, but the the school strikes were on in the in the eighties, so that kiboshed that. And and my two older brothers, they they both played the chanter, which is the thing you go on to before the pipes. Right. So, it's not as it's not as loud and as unpleasant as the bagpipes. So, but it is, it's literally um, it's literally a pipe, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like a it's it's a, a very extended. Well, I wouldn't even call it a recorder, but it's it is the 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 main part that you blow into. Uh, aye. So it's uh, all it is is if you imagine a bagpiper uh, and and the bit that he moves his hands. That that's what it is. It's it's like because you get a you got a bagpipe chanter. And effectively, what it is 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 a smaller version of of how you would play your tunes. Uh, and with bagpipes, what what you've got to kind of think about is just see it as like a little mini band. So you've got the the main singer is your fingers, uh, that's your Tina Turner, and then your, <laughs> and your and your backing vocalists dancing away. That's your wee three things that lie in your lie in your shoulder. Brilliant. So that's that, that's what they are. So what you've got is you've got the melody uh, being played by your fingers. And the harmony should be perfectly in balance with what you're playing, and you should be able to tune them into each other. And if and Paul always say, you know, someone always said to me, you know, eh, bagpipers, you know, oh, I don't, I don't like them, I don't like the sound of the pipes. Well, you know, see if they sound wrong, then it's a bad bagpiper you're listening to. Yeah, it should be pleasant. It can be loud, but it should still be. Pleasant. I love, I love the bagpipes. I when President Obama was over. Um, I think it's 2011, we were doing some work and I stayed at Wellington Barracks and the guys were getting ready for the birthday parade. 
Oh, mate, to be woken up at six o'clock in the morning by the pipers practicing out on the on the stairwells, it was absolutely stunning. I I, I felt very privileged to hear that. Um, I mean, you know Wellington Barracks, and it's a it, it's a it's a different type of place, but to have it filled with that sound is superb. Yeah, actually, I was lucky enough uh, when President Obama came came over to do his final yep. sort of wave off. I yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough to be. I was in Windsor Castle, and uh, uh, I was. It was just. Oh, it was a great crack. I mean, it was. Uh, you know, they came across, and it was really funny actually because uh, 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 I was looking after the Secret Service team and uh, just showing them about. You know, nothing. Yeah, nothing, yeah. Nothing, nothing top secret. Showing them all these places, and uh, a few that the the British police had said, "Watch, watch the Irish Embassy thing," because they got the. They got their car, the beast, as yes, they call it, yes. stuck uh, at the Irish Embassy, and it's it's, it's good watching. So yeah, it's good you watching. know, the police like to rub each other, don't they? So the <laughs> so the special branch guys are like, make sure you mention it. it says right, I will do. So I had I was winding them up because I was saying, uh, uh, in Windsor Castle, I was showing them, and as you come up the back, uh, it's got obviously you've got little tunnels underneath everywhere, you know, yeah. as, as any castle would have. And I said, oh, this is this is hollow underneath. And, you know, they're starting to get right worried. <laughs> and space and everything saying, oh, do you think it'll collapse? And I swear this is the truth. One of the one of the police officers, one of the special branch Americans said, I mean, how old is Windsor Castle? Is, is it quite old? <laughs> I, I says, aye, aye, it's really, really old. Like, And then they said, hey, well, well how, how old? You know, I said, well, what? I said, I don't know, and I had to go and look it up, and it was something ridiculous. Like there've been people on the Windsor Castle site from something like, and I'm wrong with my history, but it was like 20 AD or something that they they've tracked it all the way back, haven't they? Yeah. So it's been there forever, and this this guy couldn't get his head round it. And it was really funny, and I walked round, and he said, hey, you know, do you see the Queen much? I wouldn't put an American accent on because because uh, it's not that good, and. Uh, and he said, hey, do you see the Queen much? And I looked up, and the Queen Queen was looking out, and, uh, and I looked up, and I don't know what else to Timing. do when the Queen's looking at you. So I just wave, because I always do that. I have a so I, I waves up at the Queen, and, and they all looked up, and they, they had no idea what to do. I says, there's the Queen there. And I told them, you better wave. <laughs> uh, and it was brilliant. You know, that's, that, that's the thing. But to actually answer your question, where I started, it was, yeah, just at school, uh, I got taught through the... The local council, you know, up here, they teach bagpipes the same as you would piano, and they obviously teach all those instruments as well. Yeah. But uh, I just started doing that, and it was, uh, I'll be honest, it was more of a war of attrition. I suppose it's like any instrument that I think every week I was the most reluctant piper uh, ever. I hated practicing. I just wanted to go and play football, uh, and really, if it wasn't for my for for the dedication, probably as much as my mother. Uh, as my brothers that helped me kept playing, you know, and just kept yeah, yeah. going through it. Uh, and then, I it was a quite a quite a quite a difficult time uh, when I was younger, and, and I thought, you know, it was it was one one area that I, that I thoroughly actually enjoyed. Now I look back in it, I enjoyed it. So when you so, joined the army, you've 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 done your your schooling, but when you've joined your joined the army, did you join as a piper, or was that a secondary skill, if you like? Paul, the thing is, uh, I went to the recruiting office, and uh, please, no one, no one, um, give me any abuse for me about to say this. But I, I wanted to be—I always wanted to join the police. That—that's really what I wanted to do. So 
Uh, I wasn't academic at all, uh, as, as what, a lot of us. What are you trying say. to say about the police? <laughs> well, that's why I, I couldn't enjoy it. Uh, and I was, I'm not very, I'm not tall, I'm only five foot six. So at the time it was still, I don't know if it's the same in England, but five, you had to yeah, be like five. Five, eight, five, eight plus, or five, five, ten and a quarter, I think it was when I joined, yeah. So. Uh, five, eight, aye, that yeah. sounds about right. And uh, I went into the recruiting office and I said, look, you know, was, I had... I was at the recruiting office, I think, every day for when I was 15. It's desperate to go, you know. That's all of all, that's all I wanted to do. I had no interest in school whatsoever. Did play school, but uh, play football, sorry, at school, but uh, that, that was it. It was just sports, PE department, that's where I went, and I played the pipes. Uh, that was pretty much Scott Methvin at, at that point. So then I, uh, uh, I went to the recruiting office and I wanted to join the, the military police. Oh, good for you. And of course, the recruiting office, uh, the boys in there were the local regiment, which was the 1st Battalion, the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders. Yeah. And they told me, and I think it was a lie, uh, they said, oh, I'm sorry, there's no room. I had filled out the questionnaire, and I think that's what it was, and I'd put down, they put hobbies. So I put down the hobbies and I put bagpipes, and then they came back through and said, I'm really sorry. I'm afraid. We don't have any spaces in the military police. Uh, but if you want to join the army, we've got spaces in the 1st Battalion, your local regiment, the 1st Battalion, Argyll and Salanders, and they're looking for pipers. So I didn't I didn't join the army as a piper. I joined, obviously, as an infantry soldier. Um, and, and you are, it's the same as the Corps, Corps of Drums in the English battalions. Uh, you join as a soldier. Um, music in the cheap, I used to like to call it. You know, it's like you, you get two for the price of one. Yeah. And then I went away to... Uh, this was in, I joined the military in November 1989. I went to my training January, January the 15th, or no, January 8th, I think, uh, uh, Junior Infantry Battalion, Euston, in 1990, uh, down, down by Newcastle. Excellent. And did you have to re, not retrain, that's the wrong word, because you've got, um, is it Nether Hall down in, in London? You, once you've got the pipes, you didn't have to go off to a music school and because you already played. Uh, well, uh, so we don't go to Nether Hall. We have nothing to do with them because they're they're full time musicians. Right. They're, that's their that's their gig. Right. Um, and and obviously we are infantry soldiers. So yes. I would do my fifty two weeks training down in juniors, and I always remember it was a bit it was a bit surreal because if you think of the time, uh, we we finished our training. It was the fifteenth of December, right, uh, nineteen ninety, and. We used to, everyone used to march in to get their postings. Yeah. And I was really unusual cohort of, of young soldiers who the Gulf, obviously the Desert Storm was just kicking off. Yes. And everybody went in and everybody came out and they were, and you would salute the officer, stand at the table and they would, they would go through the wee sort of notions of where you were getting posted to. And uh, at the time, the Scottish division, as it was back then, uh, uh, the Royal Scots, I think, were in Verland in Germany. The Argyll and Southern Highlanders were in uh, Minden. Uh, the Royal Highland Fusiliers were in Cambridge. And what we found was all all my friends who were Royal Scots, for example, too young to go to Germany, went to the 1st Battalion RHF, Royal Highland Fusiliers in, in Cambridge, and then deployed to Afghanistan. Wow. Uh, sorry, to, uh, Iraq. to Iraq. Yeah. Uh, for, for Desert Storm or QH, should I say. Yeah, yeah. And that was... Everybody walked in and everybody was told, Q8, Q8, Q8. And and one of one of the boys came out before I went and they went, Where's 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 Q8? 
Nobody knew. No. They were young. No, exactly. Boys. Uh, or just turned 17. So that, that that was a really kind of surreal time. Um aye, so that that was that was that was good though. Uh, Fantastic. And so where did, did you go to Cambridge or where, where were you? So what happened was to answer your question, uh I went uh, I ended up going to I was going to be going to the King's Own Scottish Borderers and they were based in Edinburgh. Right. But um a few few of my friends went, but because I played the pipes, they decided uh, and the battalion was deploying to to Kuwait as well. Uh, I went to the Army School of Piping and Highland Drumming up in Edinburgh, and it was out at Glencourse Barracks, out by Pennycook at the time. So the old Scottish Division was still, Scottish and King's Division was still being run up there uh, with the training. Yeah, I mean, that must have been absolutely amazing, though, to be with all those like-minded people, and you could just practice your heart's content, I, I assume. It was quite, if I remember rightly, it was, it was quite... It was quite dysfunctional, actually, to be honest, because there were there were not a set period that you would be there for. Unlike now, you go there and it's fairly like any course, yeah, fairly rigid. But it was different at the Python School because they held you there till they decided you were good enough to go. Right. So Andy, I was there for about six or six or seven months, and uh, and and I, if I, if I'm honest, I think some of it would be uh, they like to keep a few plain papers to do some of the. Some of the some of the jobs, yeah, you know, some of, of the gigs that are there. And when I say gigs, I mean things like remembrance days, or they needed pipers to play at, at at different funerals and what have you. Yeah, you know, and uh, that's what I found myself doing. Uh, actually, I did as a young piper, only seventeen years old. I had to go and a few a few soldiers that died during during the Gulf War. Oh, did you? I, I found myself doing that, and, you know, and that that was a right big dose of reality as a young 17, 17 mm. year old soldier albeit I hadn't went to war and a lot of my friends had went um, I, I got the unfortunate or the privilege should I say yeah. uh, to go and give somebody their final send off and, and, and the realize, realism of what actually the army and the war is really like yeah yeah. it's um, it, it's very sobering because it all sounds very um, exotic doesn't it I, was, I interviewed Andy Merry and He's a beef eating out the tower, and and he was telling us some of the things that they they did, and the reality versus the TV is is not always as good, you know. It's um, it's a tough old life. But so you've you've done your time in Edinburgh. Did you get deployed overseas? And not at that point. I, I then joined. I joined the first battalion, the Argyle Southern Highlanders, up in uh, sorry, up in over in Minden in Germany. Right, and. Uh, I was there for a few years, and then what happened was we only sent, I think we had, I'd just missed a Northern Ireland tour um, in 1990. They were in Gerwood, uh, and then I was in, in Germany, and we were just really, really busy. We would, because we were uh, mechanised with the old 432s. Right. Uh, uh, so they didn't go far. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we always went away over to Germany doing Medman, Medman 7, I think that was in 19... 91 uh, and then it was uh, back to the UK we were unfortunate enough to be put into the old thing, junior battalion down at Shorncliffe oh I'll, Shorn... yeah I know Shorncliffe Barracks so it was mothballed until we went into it oh right and and we went in and it was an absolute it was, it was a disgrace that's the only words you can really well, use I, I went there in 88 for the P&O sailors strike and right. we were we were billeted there all these coppers, you know, we had all our right vans and what have you. And it was a dump then. 
I mean, yeah. it was a dump. The showers were, oh, it was absolutely vile. So if they hadn't done them up and you've gone back a couple of years later, they must have been yeah. even worse. Well, it was 1993, so they hadn't done anything. No. At all, nothing. Uh, and uh, we were in there for a couple of years uh, and then and then we, we went, got bounced up to Edinburgh into, and, and Redford Barracks had just been, had just been a... Uh, uh, renovated, but I remember we were in Folkestone. Sorry, um, it was uh, I did my first tour of Northern Ireland from there, uh, and really that that was the crux of of what the first battalion there, Gaelic Southern Highlanders, we, we we always just got brought into it. So it was a six months operational tour, uh, West Belfast. Oh, nice. Uh, I was based uh, at North Howard Street Mill, uh, and also. Um, uh, we would work from there because we were we put the pipes and drums as a formed platoon, and we we worked as the the battalion's operational reserve. Right, uh, and I seem to always have taken over places I go, whether it be Afghanistan, wherever. Always seemed to be the Royal Marines. I always used to take over from, and we had taken over from the Royal Marines, uh, and it was uh, it was good. It was, it was it was good fun. But they had two operational reserves. But typically, our battalion were tasking. Our platoon, the same as what they were, two platoons. Right. Uh, it, was, it was just, it was, it was hard going. It was good. Um, absolutely loved it. Uh, quite surreal, I think, even more so than than if a conventional war like Afghanistan or, or what have you. I think, I think what's different about that, that yeah. Paul, is that you were policing. I think what was quite surreal for me as a young eighteen-year-old, eighteen or nineteen-year-old by this point, um, just patrolling around the streets with the police mm. uh, uh, serving warrants and all this sort of helping them serve warrants do all that sort of things and it was quite an insight um, and, and quite scary at times oh yeah uh, but, but but really really rewarding to be honest I, I played hockey out there and they took us on patrol and we went into the um, Catholic and the Protestant side and we stopped to look at the murals because the murals are amazing aren't they the artwork that goes on and we're there, and there's these kids, you know, eight and nine year olds throwing half bricks and stones at the at the um, armoured vehicles that we we're in. I mean, it was a, it's it's quite unnerving, really. Yeah. Um, well, we we were we did that tour, uh, and and it was a very it was a busy tour, but um, we didn't we didn't lose anyone on on the tour, mm. uh, which is, uh, and I think to be honest, and if I am honest, I. Being a Scottish battalion, we have that unique bond. Oh, it's the Celts. We understand the yeah, sectarians a lot clearer. Oh, um, well, you've got it in uh, Glasgow, mate. I mean, it's it, the 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 Rangers Celtic side. You, 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 if you, the first thing you say to someone from Glasgow, are you green or or blue, and then yeah. you know which way the conversation's going. Well, mobile phones had just kind of started. Coming, becoming commonplace in sort of 90, 93, 94, if I remember rightly. And it was funny. And I remember we got a, we actually got a collusion brief and uh, we were standing. And of course, half half the company, so you're talking about 100, 100, see 100 it was a full-formed company, so about 100, 120 guys. And we're all standing and the company commander, you know, the major comes out and says, right, you know, you make sure that you're not taking sides, you're being impartial and what have you. <laughs> I remember it was short sleeve order and half the company were standing with Celtic tattoos yeah. all up and down their arms. <laughs> the other half, God in Ulster. 
<laughs> this is without a word of a lie. And someone's mobile phone went and it, and it was the sash. Sash, my father was, oh, yeah. was going out. And I was just like, yeah. couldn't make that up. And it, and it was great. You know, it was there. Uh, but the, the guys knew what it was about. Uh, and, and as you say, some of these boys have been brought up, uh, you know, exactly the same way, way as Northern Ireland. So we understood it. Um, which which didn't always go in our favour, I must admit. But but we knew how to how to sort of I think treat people fairly, and that, yeah. that's really the key. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my family with with the surname that I've got, my, I've got a huge family in Galway, so yeah. you know we're we're green on that side, you know. And it's it is what it is, mate. Uh, you know, I, I I'm just sad in that Northern Ireland seems to be kicking off again, although it's being suppressed by the by the press. Um, but it's an interesting and it's a beautiful country that's spoiled by politics. Whatever, whatever side of the fence, it's just ruined. And it's not about the religion side. It's about money, money making now. You know, it's the organised crime groups that are involved over there, whether it be the taxis or the fruit machines or whatever it is. We all know. The beauty is that the cops know who they're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Eh? But it's the level of violence. Aye. Yeah, I was quite lucky as well, though, because I had that added extra thing of being a piper. Yes. So, uh, and we were there during the, remember there were a, there were a ceasefire night four, yep. uh, quite a big, that was the first yeah. kind of ceasefire, I think since 1979, yep. roughly then. So we, we were then soft posture. Yep. Uh, and so it was the, the Glengarry's went on. Uh, and, you know, the guys put the Glengarry's on uh, and rather uniquely. So, you know, the guy on Southern Highlanders would wear red and white dice. Yes. They, they stand out. Very they smart. The, they don't have the black dice in through the middle. Um, so it's quite unique, and I, I would wear a black Glengarry because I was a piper. Oh right! So, so it was a wee bit, a wee bit unique, and it was quite funny actually because, um, and I think every boy in that guy on Southern Islanders at First Battalion would claim to be in this video. But when we were there in '94, um, the uh, Cranberries filmed Zombie. Oh right! And uh, they came out in patrol with us and they stayed with us for a few days, and. Uh, uh, we were all in the video of zombie, and it was the first battalion walking round, and that was in, uh, that was in, uh, uh, it wasn't a tough lodge. It was Bal- uh, uh, Bally Murphy uh, area, and that's where they filmed it. And it was uh, they filmed it under the guise of a, a public relations video or what yeah. have you. Hadn't told the MOD, good old MOD, uh, due diligence there, and it was a, <laughs> it was a video, and and we're all, you know there are loads of members of their guiles. Are you in, in it? In that video. You in it? Yeah, I, I'm in it. I would always come to be in it, eh? So, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, one of my friends who was in my, my brick, as you used to call it, eh, in my team, he's in it. And you can see him a mile off because he never smiled ever. <laughs> Brilliant. I'll, I'll, I'll have a look at that later. Oh, you need to look at it. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, and, we, you know, playing the pipes in Northern Ireland, that broke down barriers as well mm. because I had the black Glengarry on. People would obviously question you why you were in a black Lingari. I play the bagpipes. Oh, my uncle played the bagpipes. You know, you would be, you, you know, all these villages. You might maybe have a truck coming coming for uh, a certain village, Balna Hinch, for example. Yeah, yeah. Right? And Balna Hinch used to have a really good pipe band. So I would say, oh, do you know so and so for Balna Hinch pipe band? And they're like, I do, I. And again, it was just breaking down those barriers and you putting a uh, putting a, a, a human face. To, to the people you're talking to. Yeah. You'll, you'll understand that. Is when you had your helmet on, you weren't seen as a real person. But no. as soon as you put your, 
your, you know, your, your headdress on, they could see your eyes, you know, they, they weren't as intimidated. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that was a really good uh, sort of breaking down the barriers, you know. How long were you out in Northern Ireland for then? So th- we, did 90, we did that operational tour and they said that would be us for a wee while, for yeah. a couple of years. Uh, the following year, but six months later, they put us on a two years ARB. Uh, so we went straight into two years, uh, I think it was ARB then PRB. So we were four years straight. Wow. Um, from Edinburgh. Uh, and I can't remember what way around it was. It was either a permanent rulement battalion, which was the Belfast side. Yeah. And then we flipped to ARB, which was the Armagh rulement battalion. So I think it was Armagh, then it was the Belfast. And it was two years. So the way we worked it was we were based in Edinburgh. We'd have a company out on ops for six weeks, company back uh, doing training, company getting leave and courses and stuff. Right. And we would repeat that for two years, uh, non-stop. Wow. Uh, and obviously you have the company back in Edinburgh, they were also on QRF. So literally they would you know, send Sea Kings over, the helicopters right on the square at Redford Barracks, take them right over to the uh, Presswick, get sorted out and right over to right over Northern Ireland. Wow. Uh, I remember, and it was quite quite weird. You'd be you'd be sitting getting all your radios and stuff, you know, um, and then deploying straight away. You know, sometimes just flying straight over, go to the Edinburgh Airport. If that was the case, depends what what they had in the way of transport. Heli Bedford wouldn't work, <laughs> but uh, so they would they would turn around and get us over to Belfast, and you would be sitting at um, the airport bombing up your mags. Um, and then literally getting taken uh, for Chinook, South Armagh, deployed out straight over wow. for whatever op they needed us for, you know. Um, and we were involved in quite some quite tasty sort of high-profile stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's like snipers and all that that we caught, and we were just doing the cordon and stuff, and it was really, really, really interesting stuff. We, we lost a few guys um, when we were out there as well, uh, mostly due to one was a road traffic accident, it was a terrible, terrible thing. And at the time, we used to have the hops. You know, everybody would dump, jump in and try and uh, deceive the, the the people watching us, the, yep. the dickers, uh, any, anybody we think's watching them. So you would put a ridiculous amount of soldiers and policemen in the back of these Land Rovers and drive, drive round and then kick guys out and just try and sort of hoodwink the... The baddies, the and um, and sadly, uh, on on one of the occasions down uh, down in South Armagh, um, the first Land Rover pulled out. Uh, the second one tried to follow, got hit with a Arctic in the oh. side, and a few of the guys were killed, and it was uh, I was devastating. And I think I think in some ways, uh, it wasn't in my company. It was I think I'm sure it was Bravo Company, uh, and. Uh, that was kind of harder to take, you know, because it's not through fighting. It's yeah. A, it's a, and I always think that's sometimes harder yeah, to comprehend sometimes than, than actually getting killed in the job that you're trained to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I do understand what you're saying. I, I lost a few mates out in Iraq and they're all military, they're military policemen. And, you mm. know, it's, um, yeah, it's a terrible time, but it's it's the... Like you say, they were in battle. They're you know they're they're having a fight. Um, when it's when you're killed in a road traffic collision, that's just a that's not what you're there for, is it? It's not what you're training for. 
how did you how did they receive that though within the battalion because it's i mean for someone to get killed in service is is it's quite a big deal isn't it i mean it's a it is a big deal for the for the people left behind i think it kind of goes back to when i mentioned earlier about my first reality check of the army when i went and played the pipes for 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 someone that had came back from uh, desert storm and had died it was that kind of reality check again for yeah. everyone that this, this isn't a mundane job you know i know now people sit there and criticize um um or probably the, the Afghan veterans in Iraq, kind of maybe look down on the guys that are in Northern Ireland and doing the job there because they don't see it as the same sort of fight. But I think they need to need to understand it was a different kind of battle. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think, I think to be honest, they're, they're, and this is my own point of view, is the, the, the personal skills of people in the operating Northern Ireland was so, so high. Yeah. So it was, it was a different kind of army. It was... I'm going to say it was more disciplined. Mm. I don't mean that in any any disrespect to to any uh, following uh, campaigns, but it was you know these, these guys were were top operators. Oh you yeah, know, I, I can I can say that some of the finest soldiers I've ever served with were Northern Ireland guys, yeah. you know, because they were so so switched on uh, and they they understood atmospherics, they understood uh, things that were going on. Whereas I felt sometimes. And I think it might just be a generational thing as well, mm. as that the young team, as I call them, you know, that that I went to battle with recently, you know, you, you had to kind of almost coax them through, like, can yeah. you see this is happening? And I, and I, but I think the other thing is because it's, um, you, you're working within the British, na- with British nationals in, in Northern Ireland, I don't think people realise the size, Northern Ireland isn't big, and mm. you're working in such close proximity to both sides that at any point either one of them it, it can go horribly wrong and therefore you've got to have your wits about you whereas and I've never been in a battle like like mm. that but from from my perspective why well, I say if you're sitting in Q8 or wherever and you're going through the front door of an insurgent you know that you're battling against an insurgent but when you've got the the local populace and everybody looks the same everyone's wearing the same you've really got to have your wits about you well, actually, it's funny you kind of say that because that's made me really remember. Um, I mean, we, we were pretty much Northern Ireland from 1994. And if you think, it was 1990, operational tour, 1994 back, and then that was the first battalion the Argyle and Highlanders back in Northern Ireland. Right. Right, right the way through to, to, to sort of 2000, and then we thought, we'll get a break. No, the centres then to Belfast. Mm. So, so we were there. And what happened was in that sort of interim period was we were we were the, one of the battalions involved in Drum Cree. Oh, okay, yeah. And uh, that that was a game changer. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Um, our battalion, you know, uh, ended up rewriting actually all the riot uh, really? doctrine um, uh, be- because of that, and it had to all change because it was just kind of out of date. And it was uh, again that, that was a. That was a reality check. I've used that word a couple of times, but I use, I use it consciously um, because what we had was we had um, some of the home service during the day because obviously they worked just nine to five. Yeah. On the on the baseline with us, and then at night they were going to the other side and rioting against us. And there were even a guy that 
Incredible. Um, I believe, uh, was arrested because he had fired a pipe bomb at us and he had been standing with us at our side. So the, you know, and that was a good reminder for a lot of mm. a lot of a lot of young guys that you know. I know you're saying that you you got your God and Ulster tattoos in your arms, right? But they're not your friends. You know, remember that exactly, right? And uh, and that that was just amazing, and I've never seen that. Uh, men work as hard as what they did there, and you know, thankless task, oh, absolutely yeah. thankless. Uh, you couldn't win. Uh, and then I just go forward a couple of couple of years, and I think when we when we went to the battalion, uh, when the battalion was based in uh, in Belfast um, for two years, um, we also it was our battalion that had to deal with Church of the Holy Cross. Yes. Which was absolutely horrendous. I mean, I would, you know, anybody that puts their children through that, I, I do totally respect your your right to walk down a street. Yeah, but you're no, you're. I wouldn't allow my child to be hit with water balloons full of full of urine. Oh, uh, and 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 it was all for the publicity. Yeah. You know, that, that's was Sinn Fein pushing that, uh, and I don't defend one side or the other. Just to be clear, no. um, but because at the same time it shouldn't have been happening. In the first place, because it's children we're talking about, but they were what what they didn't do was they, they didn't uh, there were another obviously gate to get in the school, and that was that was a safe gate, but it was uh, they were insistent in coming down this way through the Presbyterian sort of road, uh, and made a point of of just taking everything that was thrown at them literally, uh, and and the jocks were the guys you know try to defend these children, and I think that was that was a that was a terrible thing you know, yeah, um, but. As you say, I absolutely love Northern Ireland. Mm. Uh, just, a, just a wonderful place to, to albeit all, all the violence and what have you, um, but what a fantastic place place to serve. You know, we, I mean, had as much fun as as tragedy. You know. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is it is it's a lovely place. And the, 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 going back to what you're saying, principle is the worst thing that you can have sometimes because it, a lawyer will make thousands of pounds out of somebody's it's a point of principle and this is what happens when it's a principle I I should be able to walk my kids yeah I get that but actually you're putting your kids and everybody else at risk Mm -hmm. Um, and you know it's a bit of a selfish thing so how did you progress in the army so in 1994 um, I was uh, I got promoted to Lance Corporal um, and uh, and then from there I would do soldier courses in tandem with piping courses. Right. So you've got to do both. You've got to do both. You've got to be a competent soldier. All my friends will say I'm totally incompetent. <laughs> that's, that's a typical military thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then, but 1998, um, I got promoted to corporal, uh, and I was about, I think I was about 24 or something. But by that time, 24, 25, uh, I went to, I went down to Brecon. Uh, I always remember my, my instructor was an in SAS and I was like, oh, no. Because, you know, I, I was probably the most reluctant soldier I'll ever get. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. I loved the idea of it. But actually, the hard work is really quite hard. Um, and, uh, and So I, did you go to the depot I, at Brecon then, at Krakow? Uh, no, uh, Brecon. Yeah. Uh, at the, at the, at the Army training camp? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, my my mum's yeah. cousin was the MO there. And when I was a right. kid, we used to run right. They lived. There's a bungalow. As you go through the main gate, up on the left hand side, there's a bungalow, and the and he lived there. He was a he was a colonel, yeah. and yeah, right. infantry battle school there. So, yeah. and it was great. And, and when I was there, it was it was different from what it's like now. Now, oh, yeah. now yeah. I sound like an old soldier when I say that. Yeah, but 
And the reason it was dif- different is because you had to double everywhere. No one was allowed to walk. Oh, wow. There were no walking. You had to, had to run everywhere. That's, that, that was it. And uh, quite quite amazing, actually. And, of course, my, my instructor was in the SAS. And, the, and I always remember I, I sat down and, and he said, you're going to be my tool to make me fit because I'm going back to my regiment. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, this no. Gonna... <laughs> it was brilliant because the guy, the guy was no nonsense. Yeah. Just right down the line, cracking soldier, cracking guy, and, and that was it. And, Get you know, on with and, it. and it was a case of common sense. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a job's worth. It was it was just a good guy, and and I think we all responded to that because we were definitely one of the best sections of know the best. We came first for the runs and stuff right. like that, and that was the key because that's what he said. No, you're not coming. You know, do not come second. Do not come second. So we just made sure we were at the front of everything, and it was really? good, really, really good. Um, and then, and then from there, I had a kind of change of heart. Um, I wanted to leave the army. Right. Um, so I'd I'd done a couple more years. Um, we were still, uh, we were just in Edinburgh, and we had moved to Belfast, uh, into Palace Barracks, and I just decided, you know, I'm I'm hitting at 27. I'm single. Um, I would like to leave the army. So I think it was 2002. And I decided, look, I, I I love the army. No issues with it whatsoever. I just want to leave because I want to see what real life is like. Yeah. And I, I remember going into my commanding officer and he said, right, here we go. Right. Why do you want to leave? I said, well, sir, I want to leave because I, I want to see what life's like outside the army. Well, you, do, you don't hate the army. I said, I don't hate I love the army. And I'm very thankful for everything that's provided me. But I'm 27. So... And we're stuck in Belfast, so it's unlikely I'm going to really want to meet a woman here, right? And uh, know that there are no lots of beautiful women in Northern yes, Ireland. But, yes, but I understand the sentiment. But it wasn't, it wasn't that. So I decided, no, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. So I decided to leave, and uh, terminated. Away I went, and uh, I ended up. I'd done all my courses for the for the rigs, all the rope access stuff. And, yeah, uh, I'd done all the non-destructive testing. Um, exams and stuff, level two, I don't if I remember rightly. And uh, so I did all that. And then there were a big downsizing of the rigs. And I had applied to the prison service as a fallback. And that was my mum. Always listening to your mum, doesn't matter how old you are. Yeah. So I had pl- applied to that as a as a maybe, because the, the money was rubbish. And so I was like, hey, okay. So, so I ended up going to work in the prison service because they downsized the rigs so so I was in the Scottish prison service uh, and they put me because I'm in Stirling just outside Stirling they put me to a female prison which was HMP Cornton Vale or HMP YOI Young Offenders Institution Cornton Vale Is uh, that where all the controversy is at the moment? Indeed it is I. Oh yeah that's, um, that's, that's worked out well and you, Well do you know I was actually really quite naive um, I actually thought women were all clean. That changed my mind, and uh, and it, uh, and we all think we've had quite a hard upbringing. Mm. I think so, you know we all, we always think, oh, you know, it was a difficult upbringing. Um, but I must admit, some of the tragic people were in prison. Oh, they are tragic as well. Yeah. By the grace of God, to be perfectly honest, yeah. is, is that I think that we can all make wrong wrong choices. You know, I remember one one young lady in in, in particular. And I, she was a nice enough lassie and she said she was only like 19 or well, she might be younger than that actually because she was a student nurse I always remember and she'd been out drinking and 
she, her boyfriend had been seeing someone else. She found out she was drunk. She ran up to the girl who it was, went to punch her, but she was that drunk she had forgot she had a glass in her hand. Oh, jeez. So she got 18 months in prison. I always remember this. And I thought, you know, that could, that could be anybody. Mm. You know, really could. And she had a nice family, um, lovely family. I remember speaking to them. And it's one of the, the wee stories that always stick. Yeah. Your mind, eh? And it's no all bad people. There are a lot of bad people, let's be honest. Yeah. Right? But, but there are also a lot of people that have just had a bad crack. And, yeah. and you know, I think, I think that, that's prison, to be honest. Yeah. So oh, I ended up leaving that. I had enough. Uh, and uh, I went and worked with children with emotional behaviour problems. So I went for the parents to their children. Oh, my life. Yeah, but um, you, can so, sculpt, you can try and sculpt the kids, can't you, into... You can't, eh? Uh, and, you know, it just shows you it's just... But it's about getting them out of that environment. Yes. That breaking the breaking the, the cycle. Absolutely, break them all day. And that, that's the biggest problem. And I, I absolutely love that. It's probably the most... Probably one of the most enjoyable jobs I've ever done in my life. Without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, it was right. working with the kids. Um, and uh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, and then... I was doing really well with the piping. And what happened was the the, the gentleman that was director of infantry at the time, uh, Lieutenant General Andrew Graham, said, look, do you not fancy coming back to the Argyles? I said, no, look, look, I've now been out. You know, I've done a few years in the prison service. Um, yep. uh, I was just getting married. I actually did meet someone that was daft enough to, to marry me. Uh-huh. So I ended up getting married. And uh, I think I just got married. And this was two thousand and six, so I didn't rush into things. And um, I, and I, uh, I'd been to a pipe band competition, and we'd won all the big major prizes. So he, he was at me and at me. Look, would you join back up? I said no, no chance, no chance. And I said, well, what will I need to do? He says, well, because you've done brecking, because you've done the the command courses, you should be fine. So I went, and it was my wife, my new wife, had said. Why do you not just go back? Look, it's better money. It's, you always talk about it. Typical, you know, you always talk about the job, don't you? Yep. It's like, yep. it was rose-tinted rose glasses. And of course, I went away back and uh, I, I remember going down to ITC Catrick um, and uh, they didn't want to know me. They're like, get yourself away back to the tower. looked at my courses, looked at everything. Uh, I did a few sort of weapon drills with some of my friends uh, who um, who ran me through some stuff and said, you've not forgot anything, have you? I went, nah. Did the wee runs that you have to do and then they said, get back to your battalion. The battalion was in Canterbury, part of 16 Year Assault Brigade. Oh, okay. Point. And uh, it was, so I went away down there and it was a different army. Couldn't believe it. I, I was like, I'll be honest, I didn't like it. I thought people were too familiar. Yeah. So I'd, I had missed, they had done Iraq um, and they had just came back from Bosnia. Um, and uh, I think they kind of thought, you know, it's that kind of Americanism, you know, they watch the movies and they think, you know, um, don't think they need to shave. They don't, you know. Standard. Yeah. I, I actually thought about leaving, to be honest, because I was like, this is a different army. Uh, and I, I remember getting taken in by the RSM at the time saying, look, you need to you need to back off the guys. You're being too hard. Because I'd went back in as a corporal. Corporal, right. They let me stay the rank. And I said, well, 
I'm not going to change who I am. It's, it's a disciplined service. So, you know, let's get on with it. And I thought I found that quite difficult going, going back to that. And I went and married unaccompanied because I thought I need to get into it. And I remember it was quite funny. It was a regimental weekend. Just so happens that the weekend I came back. So all my friends, they're talking about five or six years I was out. They were all, some of them were sergeant majors and stuff, but they wouldn't believe me that I had joined the army again. They thought I was there for the weekend and I was at the wind-up. <laughs> so, honestly. Right? And it came in Monday morning and I went I went and seen one of the guys and they went, oh, are you still here, Scotty? I went, no, I told you the weekend. I've genuinely joined back up. And I went, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, no, I'm being honest. And, and now they believe me, so it was really funny. So I ended up back uh, and uh, they were going to send me the, the, the recruiting team. And I, I didn't want to go to the recruiting team. I thought, if I'm back, I need to be in with the guys. I need to, and we were looking at going to Afghanistan, uh, and that was in 2008. So, um, and our main role was fire support group uh, right. within that, and 16th Assault Brigade. So we were really lucky because it, it was it was the best brigade in the British Army by a mile. Um, we got all the kit. You got all you know. You get all the Gucci kit, as they say. Yep. And, and it was just brilliant. So, you know, we were we were vehicle based. You know, fifty cows, GMGs, uh, but we were really lucky because we got the new supercat at the time, uh, uh, Wemix. Fantastic. Uh, and it was they had just been declassified because it was only the Hereford guys that had them before. Uh, so we were up in uh, up in Catrick, and we were going about in these vehicles. Uh, and because we were sixty near assault brigade. We got to go down to Barnstable and do uh, all the sand dunes down there. Wow. We got to go down there and uh, and use all the vehicles and stuff. And uh, we, we got to kind of operate with. So we, we went with the Pathfinders and, of course, some of the Special Forces guys came in and showed us what they do with their vehicles. Yeah. And it was it was absolutely fantastic. You know, I absolutely loved it. And that's where I really fell back in love with the Army. I was like, this is why I came back, actually. We we uh, get the helicopters from sixteen air assault because um, we're near Colchester, but we're on the flight path for the Apaches and um, everything else that goes through to just in Suffolk across the border. But it's fantastic; they're a fantastic group group of guys and girls there. Uh, it's brilliant, and uh, and you know we it was fantastic. We I, I cracked on. Um, we went out to uh, Afghanistan, and we were a we were a summer tour, right. so. Uh, we took over from uh, the Royal Marines and um, I was in Garmsia. So Prince Harry was there. Right. Um, uh, it was the Gurkhas he was with. And uh, and it was a really, it was seen as, at that point, one of the most kinetic environments, uh, if known in the world, certainly in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, so it was it was quite, quite heavy going, uh, but good. Uh, and then the Americans arrived and brought 3,000 US Marines with us, with them. So they, they were supposed to be there for a couple of weeks and we were co-located with their, uh, uh, with their recon, you know, oh. and it's amazing even just the different, the, the oh. different thinking. Terminology, yeah. vehicles, the whole lot. And I've got, I've got friends this day, you know, for the, for the Marines, especially because we play the pipes. So we've been out there quite a few times playing the pipes. And, you know, we were, we were invited out to Camp Lejeune and just see the size of that place, mm. you know, Ending up to two hours wait to get in the camp in the morning for work. It's just unbelievable Incredible. size. Unbelievable. And uh, we had a successful tour 
Um, and our location, um, we we actually didn't lose anybody. Um, we lost uh, one guy on the whole tour, which is a shame. A great guy, uh, and we had a few injured, but uh, we were we were quite lucky. Um, and it was just really really enjoyable, and it was proper. You know, we were going away in our vehicles, and we were right beside the desert as well, and off we'd go. Um, away south uh, and and it was just absolutely fantastic it was just like you know I'm going funny I know you shouldn't it was kind of like when you were when you were young and you watched all those SAS movies type thing yeah. you know and I'll say it I know people say uh, you know, but that's that's what it was all about we had the BBC with us the BBC came out with us as well and, and it's they did an embedded thing and it was it was really enjoyable to let them see kind of what we do and, and I watch those on the television now and you know um, I've got my views around what's happening with the Royals and I'm, I won't go into that. But, you know, the fact that Harry was out there serving and, and did his stuff, that, you know, that's pretty cool. Um, but it is, it was, it, accepting it was fun, you know, it probably, it wasn't sweetness and light all the time because you are coming into conflict, you you know, you get into theatre with, with the insurgents and... It's a, it's a battle, isn't it? At the end of the day, you are involved in battles. You're worried about roadside bombs, everything else that's going on, and and there for the grace of God that nobody gets, you know, gets taken. Well, we actually got put. I had a American EOD team. All oh, right, and uh, and they we were, we ended up having to be their protection, um, and they and and the, and they were a perceived attitude of the IEDs at the time were not a, not an issue. And our EOD team defused 97 uh, devices. Incredible. And and it, it was unreal. And, you know, uh, we were in some heavy, obviously heavy fighting, uh, especially when we started to push south. Um, and it was un- unbelievable. Uh, but again, it was just, I think, yeah. I think sometimes, the very few times in my military career that I've been so overconfident and that, that that was one of those times, but it worked out for us. Our company commander was second to none, uh, and that that positivity and and his sort of military skills uh, and planning and making everybody feel at ease was so was genuinely so good that when that trickles down, yeah, they, you know, the, even the youngest jock or the youngest Tom is going, yep, yeah, I'll do this no problem. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's a good thing. And it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't arrogance. It was just confidence in your own skills. Yeah, uh, and and do it right, and it and it worked out for us. And because if you've got a, a senior officer who's who flaps or is grumpy all the time, that it just filters through to the rest of the rest of the troops, and it's it's not healthy. Well, that's it. I mean that company commander and, and point quite. He was he was SAS, and he was just a. Right. Absolutely, cracking operator. Professional, you know, and, and, yeah. And, and you know the the one thing, and I compare I can compare it to other ones uh, who weren't as good, who <laughs> who who were the flappers, yeah, and useless. And I use that word choicely. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, um, because because you can only you can only rate them against the best ones that you've had. You know yeah, exactly right. Um, we've all had them, but the, but the key I always always thought was in it was in the planning because it was doing the rehearsals properly. It was. You know, deliberate ops. It was, you know, getting getting everybody feeling at ease. Make sure you've done your rehearsals. Make sure the guys have had plenty of sleep before they go out. You know, and, and all that sort of things, and just make sure they're they're comfortable, knowing exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, they're going to do it. 
and all that good stuff, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah. and it, and it, it was brilliant. Um, and I, I've got to say, I, I, I came away for that tour of Afghanistan. It was two thousand eight. That was a. Uh, um, I was hurricane actually because it was it never falls in the same sort of yeah, year. Yeah, that's yeah. the way it was. Yeah, and it, it was brilliant. And you know, you the admiration for the logistics side of things, the, the admiration for you know for, for the for the helicopters, for the Chinook pilots. I mean, we had we had three Dushka teams that was hitting us any time the Chinooks were coming in. Uh, and you know, some of the pilots just the bravest of the brave. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. you know do you mind if we use you as target practice? Oh. So that we can catch these guys, you know. Aye, okay, no problem. Right, and you're just like these are mad, you know, and and absolutely phenomenal. Oh, um, uh, and that's that's when you appreciate all the different elements of the military, you know, when it, when it's all working in tandem and and it's going really, you know, well, going even really badly, you know. Look at the medical side; mm-hmm. it was second to none, you know. That was the other side that, that we all had, and it's well documented. But for for the wee soldier in the battlefield, knowing that you've got probably some of the finest medical technicians whether that be consultants or yeah or, or, or nurses and they're going to get you and they're going to get you back to where you need to be within minutes then you know you, you probably can push yourself a wee bit further yeah absolutely a doctor said to me i said how come said, how come you've got a really good sort of rate of uh of sort of success and uh, with guys that seem to get on the table you know and mm. and, and you, they seem to be you're saving quite a lot of people. I said, well, I said, this is what the doctor said to me. He said, well, think about this, though. This isn't a Friday night in Glasgow, right? I'm not getting somebody in here that's full of, could be full of drugs, full of drink. He says, I can literally, you're probably going to be in the, some, probably the finest physical, yes. the infantry soldier is going to be in the finest yes. physical condition. So I know, because I know all the calculations, I can pump his body full of every bit of drugs to give him the best chance to survive and then, and then that way, you know, it, I know all the all the calculations. You see, sometimes it'll not work out. Sometimes it does, and a lot of times it does. And it was all things like that, you know. And it's just about building confidence. And um, they are brilliant people. I mean, ta- uh, talented doesn't even come into it, does it? They just the fact that the work that they do when a, when a soldier comes in and they've lost a limb and they've been shot, or they just they just get on with it, but. They think clearly under pressure and deal with the situation they've got in front of them, which gives you the reassurance that, God forbid, if something was to happen, at least you are in safe hands. And the, and the food out there, and you know, the, I was talking to a, a fellow about the you know the army catering corps out there, and they did a ster- under the conditions, you know, they did a sterling job to to keep everybody fed and watered. The problem we had, though, to be honest, we, that's one thing that was lacking. Where we, we were based was we, we had nothing, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, we had absolute, uh, we had problems. There were guys losing three, four stone away because wow. it was stuck. This is two thousand and eight. They hadn't changed over the rations yet to right. to sort of warm climate ones, and it was terrible. Uh, it was uh, guys were losing up to four stone in weight. Wow! Because you're talking because what was happening was obviously you're patrolling where we were in Gamsia. I think it mean I was told it means like hot land or something. Right. Actual temperature when you were checking it was like 45, 46. You've got your kit on 100, 100 pound a kit comfortably yep. any day of the week. Um, and you just couldn't, uh, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, beef stew and dumplings just doesn't do it in that kind of heat. No. You know, it's just no harming. And so they're, they're, they did start to come in towards the end because they, they really brought in sort of emergency supplements and stuff um, and, and changed it all. 
uh, and we had guys coming back that some of the some of the families just broke down their wives because that because you know yourself it's that that weight loss it becomes skeletal you know let me tell you me and weight loss on the very rarely said at the same time no I can a beast <laughs> rather than grotesquely obese because obviously nobody can see me but it's like you know I've always been I've, I've never been I'm I'm fast runner right but I've never been I've got no neck. I'm five foot six, paint the picture, and and I always look like my dad and Baldy. You know, I'm the stereotypical yep. Yep. Uh, look. And uh, I, I I came back. I had lost. I lost two stone. Wow, which was bad. But I uh, the most extreme ones was was a lot of weight, and that's it was after that tour that they totally revamped the food and all the rest of it. And then we came back and uh, we came back from that tour. We then went back in 2010, and uh, uh, it was a Christmas tour. Uh, and that was where it was quite a different, different war altogether. You know, I had I came back from Afghanistan in 2008, genuinely thinking I'd made a made a difference to people's lives. Uh, in 2010, I went there and I couldn't believe it. It was just all money, corruption. Mm. Um, it had changed the atmospherics. It changed unbelievably. We were having to protect ourselves from from the from the um, Afghan National Army because they were now based in the and our patrol bases. I was in the area when the Gurkhas, um, they lost quite a few guys. Yep. Uh, there was the Kandak, so the, the police and the army, these were the guys that had killed the Gurkhas. Yes. Um, and there were a few incidents I had. Um, they were stealing stuff, and uh, one guy in particular held up M16 up to me. was going to shoot me in the chest. Uh, I wasn't armed, standing in front of him. And the driver, the Hilux that he was driving, drove away and he fell over. And I'm absolutely adamant that he was going to he was going to slot me, and I and this was the attitude though when I went into the into the ops room I says this needs to be reported. They weren't interested, weren't interested at all because it was about getting out of Afghanistan. By that point, the eyes the eyes was already getting out. Yeah, you know, uh, just train them no matter what. Uh, and I felt sorry for the Gurkhas because the I took over from the Gurkhas, and uh, I went down to see the Gurkha guys, and I didn't realise that. The Afghan people, you know, they've got the class system and what have you, and they see themselves as somehow a class above, um, above the the Gurkha people, wow. uh, and uh, it was all that kind of uh, atmosphere, yes. what have you, you know. Um, so that that was that was a bit kind of a strange tour. How do you uh, feel now, though? Now that we're out and they've they've gone back to square one. I mean, with the the human rights, the way that they're treating the women out there. And all the people that us, the you know, the Brits, the Americans lost. That's heartbreaking. If I'm honest with you, first and foremost, the families of of soldiers, airmen, hmm. uh, that have all died. Uh, that's that, that's absolutely devastating because it seems now it was it was worthless. Yeah, and then you couple that with the the soldiers that have went out there and I said this to someone before I feel that I've lied to the to the people out there because I was the one that was going out there given the given the sound bite believing what I'm being told that we, we're not going to abandon you yeah. we'll look after you we'll help you we'll we'll help your children get to school we'll build the schools and the hospitals and what have you we're not like the Russians we're we're different. We're not going to just suddenly one morning get up and 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 run away. 
and that's exactly what we did. What we did, and and you know, I think I think when when you think about now the Af- Afghanistan sort of withdrawal, Paris and other regiments, they're fantastic. The guys that went out there, absolutely first class. And um, but I'll always just remember now that iconic picture of someone falling off the aeroplane. You know, that's the that's the ones that come to mind. Yeah. And then you link that, although I'm too young, you link that with the with the last helicopter leaving in Vietnam. Vietnam. You know, it's oh, that, yeah, that. I know. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, and that's it's disappointing, you know. And I, I just think I I think it's absolutely terrible. Um, I do understand we needed to leave, but again, if you go back a wee bit, these decisions were made before the people that were in the job at the time. You know, these these withdrawal plans were well put in place. Um, so absolutely nothing you can do about it now. And it's a case of just hopefully one day that we learn for kind of mistakes. Eh? Well, you hope so, don't you? So h- how did you progress? You, we, we've we've left Afghanistan now, but how did you progress with, with the military? Well, by that point, I was... I was a sergeant. Uh, I was also pipe sergeant, so that that double role. Um, I was also so fire support group, uh, multiple commander, um, and was re- really lucky because in two thousand and eight, I got to be, I got a step up in Afghanistan, and I, I became a platoon sergeant. Right, which is quite good when you're doing it for really. Uh, so I did that, and then in two thousand and ten. I was still I was still sitting as a sergeant, and then um, the pipe major left, um, and it's one of those dead man shoes roles. <laughs> and uh, I got promoted to colour sergeant um, or staff sergeant if you're yep. different with And then uh, so sitting as a colour sergeant became pipe major, really proud. And then of course the strategic defence review comes out. Is that 2012, 11, 12? Yeah, that time. And uh, they say first battalion. As we were then, we, became, we came with the Royal Regiment Scotland in 2006. But we, they then said that the, the Argyle Star Highlanders would get the chop, would get reduced to an incremental company. Um, so we were sitting in 16 years assault brigade, um, arguably one of the best battalions in the British Army, doing really, really well. Um, at the end of the day, the Paras are one of the best battalions, uh, two battalions, and we were we were doing every bit as, as well as them. And... Uh, it was quite funny actually because the Paras came down and the first thing they did, they did a presentation for us and says, Any one of you will be welcome. We've worked these for the last 10 years, get sales over. So a few went, Let's go, we're out here. And away they went. So it was just a fire sale. That's the best way I can put it. It was terrible. What was a shame. Like... Sorry? What a shame though. I mean, all the history that goes with the regiments and, you know, Black Watch, your guy, you know, it's just such a shame that. that... This is like when they got rid of the railways in the 1960s because once you've got rid of it, you can't get it back. And well, they've still got the Black Watch and they're all still there. Yes. So so if you think in 2006, nothing really changed as such. What, what it did do, truth be told, was it made it easier for senior NCOs and officers to move. But if you're a young soldier, you can't move. No. You, you go where you are. So it, it, it suited a few people, but, uh, but not everybody. Uh, and I think, I think the problem is as well as when they when they did the strategic defence review, what they what they didn't really do was they told everybody that wherever you are, that's where you're going to stay. And then they've slightly changed it a wee bit. So people had went out there, bought houses, done all that sort of stuff, stuff, and 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 then 
and it just doesn't work if you if you then go back in your word. Uh, and, and the locations didn't suit a lot of the battalions. Right. And we've got a different army now, because let's oh, be yeah. honest, that's what we said, is when I joined back up, it was all about getting away. How can we get away uh, on tours? How can we get away on stuff? No, the young soldier now wants to be posted beside his house, happy to go and do a tour, but he wants to come back so he can go to mum, get her to do her washing, you know, and it's a different world. But policing is the same, you know, we, we we look at the issues that we've got within the police service and those two critters that have recently been convicted, and there's going to be more, but they would have got weeded out of the system if there'd have been a proper training regime. We used to go to regional training school, so anybody who wasn't up to it, they got weeded out. You know, there's, there's, but of course now it's all, it's all done on computer there's no face-to-face they don't do home visits and dare I say it we've all become I say we I think society and I'm not woke and I'm not you know I'm not the other side I'm not I sit in the middle being nice to people doesn't mean that you're you're, you're soft but we've become soft we've you know we've got expectations that everything's going to be served up to us and life isn't like that you've got to bloody well work for it I I think I teach I teach at school um, I do a day and a half, so self-employed. Yeah. Uh, but I do I do a day and a half up at a school. A couple of the young teachers came in and were watching me, and I, you know, I'm teaching 33 young kids. Brilliant. Uh, from sort of P, P6, P5, sorry, primary five, so it's different in England, but from uh, 10 years old to 17. So it's quite a, quite a broad brand. And, um, and I'm just giving them all the chat, you know, and I'm quite confident. So, you know, I'm quite happy to stand and talk to kids and what have you. And I was teaching them away. And one of the teachers, uh, after the after the the lesson, and it was, it was a full hour, because it's after school, this, this particular group. And uh, it's, I just can't believe it. You've got 33 kids sitting in there, and you would think there are none. And I was giving them a dressing down. I was like, no, listen, that's rubbish. That's not good enough. And one of, them, one of the teachers said to me, I would never say that to them. I said, but why not? Praise them when they when they should be praised. Yeah. But give them a dressing down when they need it. So that because giving them false praise is going to do nothing for Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And that's the problem, I think, now. As you know what, regardless of your colour, whether you're a male or a female or, or whatever you're going to be, I don't mind. But you know, you've got to be good at the job that you've chosen yes. to do. Absolutely. And if you don't meet that requirement, then I'm sorry, you shouldn't get the job. No, you're you're absolutely right, and, and we shouldn't change rules to to make people fit into into roles. You know that that's ridiculous. So you, you're so, sorry, mate. Go on. So I move forward. Sorry, uh, Afghan was done. Strategic de- defence review uh, yep. came in. Some some crazy general guy turned up in a helicopter, spoke to the whole battalion, and apologised for disbanding the battalion. All right, thanks. And everyone's laughing though, because the, the standing joke was, you know, that probably cost him about twenty-five grand in aviation fuel for him to come from wherever he's been. So he could have probably saved about at least forty of us. Yeah. <laughs> right? So that was the standing joke. And uh, so we got reduced to an incremental company. So I was just get reduced to a company strength and put to Edinburgh. Um, everybody else just got passed out to to whoever. And I was quite lucky. I ended up going to the Army School of Piping and Highland Drumming. At, Industrial House in Edinburgh, uh, and I got posted there as the pipe major, and that eventually happened in 2013. Um, 
So I was only there. For the, I was responsible for the training of all pipers, potential pipers and drummers, uh, up to sort of intermediate level. So 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 the, the sound no too bad. Right, so that's it. <laughs> um, I didn't I didn't really look after the best of them, but it was actually probably the most rewarding seeing people coming for not being able yeah. to do anything to to actually play in. And some of them were really, really good and good guys. Because I just treated them like my platoon. You know, I didn't I didn't treat it like it was ITC Catrick, that's what it comes under. Yeah. But, but what I always hated about the fact that the piping school uh, comes under ITC Catrick rules is that they're not recruits. And some of these guys have done deployments, all the rest of it, and they, they try to treat them like recruits, whereas I, I actually treated them with a bit of respect and play the game. You know, if, come in here, work hard, and then and then everything will be good. Then what happened was, uh, I was coming near the end of that uh, particular no, it wasn't. I was only there for about a year and a, a, just over a year, actually. And uh, I was taken in and asked if I would consider be going to London and being the Sovereign's Piper. Wow. Uh, and I was like, um, yes. Uh, and I'd never wanted it. It's not a job I, I even ever thought about. Um, and it was just... So I ended up doing it. Uh, I went home pretended to my wife as we all know though we've got to lie to our wives haven't we yeah. so so I mean this in nice ways we white lies not, not yeah, like yeah, massive yeah, yeah. right so I said to her I said look I said eh, I've been offered this job eh, in London it's to be the next Queen's Piper or the Sovereign's Piper is the proper term and eh, she said well what did you say to him I said well I couldn't possibly say yes until, until I spoke to you and of course, I'd already, I'd already bitten his hand off. Eh? I was like, aye, all right. <laughs> but, and I said, just to be clear, so I'll get to go and stay in Buckingham Palace. I went, yep. I was like, Whoa, all right. So I still didn't believe it at this point. So I had got, eh, I'd said to the wife, asked, asked her permission, pretended that I wouldn't take it unless her say so. Went back to work the next day, quite the thing. Came back again and says, oh, that's good. They've said it's a go. And then I got the, I wouldn't believe it. And then it was until I got the posting order. And this was, uh, it was February 2015. And uh, on my sort of workflow notifications popped up, posting order, Buckingham Palace. I printed it out, I kept it. Eh? I mean, that's, that's got to be the best posting ever. Absolutely. Buckingham Palace. So really quite, quite nervous. I was quite nerve wracking. So I'd met the Queen loads of times. Um, and I don't mean somehow the Queen was my friend. I just mean I'd met her uh, playing the pipes for, for lots and lots of times. And I didn't know what had happened was the Queen came down to visit us in Canterbury. Uh, and she came down to visit us in 2013, I think it was, uh, when, we, when we got the kind of the chop. And that was because the, the first, the Argyle Southern Highlanders were very dear to the Queen because we were given uh, to Her Majesty the Queen as her 18th birthday from her, from the king, from her father. Wow. So we were first battalions to be, she was the colonel of, of a regiment right. when she was the princess, obviously. Yeah. So I think we were the, we were either the first or the second. So it was a quite a, quite a, quite a, a thing. And I always joked to her majesty. I, I actually asked her one day, I said, your majesty, what was it like being given 500 Scotsmen for your 18th birthday? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she burst out laughing. Eh? She burst out laughing, and she just wagged, wagged her fingers. She went, "Now, now, pipes. No, that's that's being cheeky." I was like, "I." And she started laughing because eh? oh, she liked she liked a wee bit of banter and a bit of cheek, you know. So away I went down to Buckingham Palace. 2015 it ended up about, about April. I ended up down there. Didn't do very much. Just hung about, seen the the incumbent. Uh, he just showed me around and I stayed out the way. And but the Queen was phenomenal. The first day I was there, you know, the Queen comes up to me and she says, hmm. "She said, hey, do you know, the only reason you're getting this job is you'll be the first piper in the history that I've never had to look up to." Walked <laughs> away from me, right? And this this uh, vice admiral was standing and says, "Do you, do you know? Do you know the? Have you met the, Her Majesty the Queen a lot of times?" I said. Well, just not not loads of times, uh, sir. He says, well, she seems very, very familiar with you, doesn't she? And what had happened, sorry, I was saying there, was Her Majesty had came down to visit the battalion in 2013. So I was playing the pipes. I was supposed to play the bagpipes because that's, the, you know, the tradition round the tables when you play the pipes. But because the Queen wasn't going to be there that long, they said, no, no, you're not going to do it. We want you to sit at the table. So I had to have lunch with the Queen. Oh, Brilliant. So I was sitting having lunch with her, and I'll tell you what happened, right? It was brilliant, right? So you imagine, you imagine it was like a, a stack of mashed potatoes, right? And it had a big ball on the top, and it looked like something really inappropriate, right? <laughs> and, I, and she was straight across from me, straight across from me. And I looked down, and I thought to myself, that looks like a, a man's appendage, yep. right? And I went, I can't look up. I can't look at the Queen right now. So I, I hit the, the ball off the top and, and crushed it all down. And I looked up. And she was doing exactly the same. <laughs> she looked at me, and I and I'm always laughing. Eh? So she looked at me and she smiled, and I smiled. And she, <laughs> is that? Cool? And I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know where to look. Oh, I was like, fantastic, oh, nightmare. So, so, and we were chatting away, and I just came back for the Falklands, um, because I knew that we had had the chop. I knew that I was going to go. Uh, uh, I was going to the piping school because this was just before I went to the piping school. I thought, you know, I've never been to the Falklands. I thought, right, and my platoon must have hated me because I volunteered my platoon to go to the Falklands <laughs> because I'd never been. <laughs> I was like, well, do you know, think about that. Think of the wildlife in there. And it was brilliant. And it uh, just so happens Prince Harry, uh, Prince uh, William was down there. Oh, was he? He was finishing off his... his uh, helicopter his stuff. Helicopter training. And it was really funny because he used to come in and he would go in and see the, one of the uh, one of the, the chief engineer and he kept breaking all the helicopters. Right, and uh, of course uh, it was this boy. Uh, his name was Taff. Right, so he's hello, boy. Oh, you know, with a <laughs> it was smaller than me. I mean, and you, you, you fucked the airframe again. You broke it. <laughs> you know, the Argentinians will be coming, and, and you're following all this sort of stuff. And it, it was absolute <laughs> class. Right, oh, brilliant. and uh, he was great. And he knew when he was coming in with packets of biscuits, he had broke something else. You know, but I ended up in the pipes quite a lot around about the Falklands and. Uh, and I went with Prince William because we did we did all the sort of wee battlefield bits and yes. and he we did a wee service at each one and we would clean up some of the memorials and, and it was it was really really nice. Obviously we were there as the as the Rick, the resident infantry company, uh, and I was fire support group, so it was great. Uh, Fifty cows and all that, great, can of beat it. And um, and I was doing all this and I got to go up to Ascension Islands. Oh wow! Play the there and you know if anybody you know. I, I never knew the history of it, and they've got HMS's hoods, old guns up there. Oh, really? I, I never knew that. And they can, and the Royal Navy went and refurbished them, and 
and the kids can go in and you can literally just take them round. Wow. With guns in. And uh, and I watched all the you know the the, the big turtles. Is that a big turtle? Tortoise turtle. So, uh, and they the wee the wee babies were all going into water and oh, it was just what a place. Stunning. Unbelievable. Um and then fast forward, I'm down at Buckingham Palace. Uh, absolutely fantastic. You know, I've had my dinner with the Queen. And little did I know that was effectively a job interview. And that's how I ended up. Oh. It was a wee cheeky because the Queen liked to see compatibility. Because you spend a lot of time <coughs> with the Queen. You know, I spent you. I spent as much time with the Queen in a given week as I did my wife. Wow. So I seen she was probably uh, women are seen probably the most in any given week that I worked there. And I was there for nearly I was there for four and a half years. Um and everything was going great. Uh, you know, I was I was up in Balmoral Castle and then uh, my wife was the feeling great, so she went to the Queen's doctor. Um and within twenty four hours my wife was in hospital within 36 hours I was told she had uh, stage 4 terminal cancer that's metastasized and she's got a couple of weeks to live and what what's your, what, what your wife's name uh, Morvin Morvin it means big hills <laughs> means what sorry it means big hills does it aye aye her mum and dad had such a foresight and um, she's uh, she was she was brilliant she was my best friend eh? I got married a wee bit older the two has had a good life um, full life with two children I've got uh, two children I've got one who's now um, now 16 and my, that's my daughter and I've got my son who is nine and at the time Fergus uh, my son he was only he was four right and my, my daughter was 12 so um, the royal family were fantastic you know they just said go you know don't worry about anything so they looked after the kids um, wow! In Castle, and I was sitting in the hospital, and uh, I it was quite hard going to be honest, because you, you know it's, it's just shock, isn't it? Um, yeah, sorry, man. I think one of the nicest things that one of the nicest things that I that I can always can I remember I had went and stayed with Morvan overnight because um, they didn't know if she was going to make it, so the next day I, I came back, you know, freshened up, make sure the kids were okay. No worries in that front, and the Queen had. I know it sounds kind of. The Queen had went round to the pastry chefs and had got muffins, and she had went down to the to the to the garden and got strawberries and all that. And made this lovely little basket up, put a wee note in. Um, and I don't think this. I, I still to this day I don't think the staff believed it was actually from the Queen. Right? <laughs> so well, I went in and I said, "This is a little basket, and it's it's from the Queen." And they're like, "Aye, okay, aye." And and it was, and, and what she had said was, "I'm going to give them a little something so they they look after." Morvin, oh. uh, and I said that's great. And then all that happened was I came back, um, and then we went down. She got more biopsies and stuff, uh, and then the the consultant says, "I." It was probably for me. It was probably the, the worst moment of my life when uh, the consultant said, "You know that you've not got long." And of course, as a man, I don't know if it's a soldier thing or a, just a, a disciplined. Um, or it's just, I don't know, it's just your life. I said, but what do you mean you don't have long? I always remember this kind of stuck with me. And she said, oh, the consultant said, you can't ask that. That's, you're not the patient. It has to be the patient that asks. And and Morvan, my wife, said, well, I don't need to be told. And then my wife, Morvan's only 40, 40, 42, 43. And I uh, said, well, what do you think? How long do you think you've got? And, you know, I was just sitting there as a third party. And she said, uh, I'm done. I, I think that's it, I'm going. 
and he said, ah, you're, you're right. You've got, he says, you've got weeks. Mm. And I was like, weeks? And then, my wife had a good sense of humour, right? But so she was crying at this point, but then, you know what she did? She goes, well, what about chemotherapy? What about something? And he said, well, what you need to remember is, Marvin, you're so ill at this moment, is that chemotherapy is probably going to kill you. I said, but you've just told me I've got two weeks left. So what, what does a week matter? Right? So she goes like that, right? I want chemotherapy. And the, the consultant got the staff nurse in. The staff nurse said, I can start Morvan. This was this was a Friday. I can start Morvan next next Tuesday. She says Morvan doesn't have until next Tuesday. So I took I took her into hospital. I took her into Beatson in Glasgow. And uh, it was like I, and I hate to use this comparison. I took I took her in and it was honestly like taking taking I remember taking my when I was younger I took my dog in to get put down, you know, to get put to sleep. Mm. And she collapsed in the corridor, burst out crying and said, That's me, I'm not coming out of here. Oh my You know, she went in though. They gave her a tiny wee bit of the chemotherapy and she reacted like that to it. And then what happened was she got an she got a whole year. That's what she got. Wow. And you know how you you know, you know how you hear people, right, talking. I know this isn't the, the military thing, but th- this is, you know, as part of it, I suppose. You know, it's like your 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 wife's always there to look after the kids, and you're away in tours and what have you, and all yeah. this sort of stuff. You know, and and I think that that's what done it for me. That I, I was finishing the army the day the day my wife died, I was done because she was the driver for me to be able to go and I think do well in the army. Yeah. Uh, that's when my love affair of the army finished because that was it I was done I couldn't do it so she got a year and you know some people sit there and say and, and I'm so happy people get to ring that bell and what have you all that sort of stuff but you know I'll, I'll be honest I'll be honest Paul my wife beat cancer because she lasted a year mm. and and she she won you know and, and that, that that will to, to, to spend that extra year with your children Yes. Absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, I've never loved my wife as much as what I did in that year. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, mate. You'll have loads of people in tears listening to this because I know how I feel at the moment. But... um... Well, do you know who's one of the best people that helped me? It was the Queen. The Queen was just on a different level. Really? The army wanted me gone. They wanted me removed. Right. No, and they weren't being nasty, right? They looked at it from a totally pragmatic point yeah, of view of, you need a piper he's not doing the job let's get somebody else in to do the job simple as that and the queen turned and said no I've got one piper he is in Scotland looking after his dying wife mm. I am not having him replaced it's not happening he will come back when he's ready to come back and that's the end of it and you know that kind of albeit just subtle backup it just meant the world to me yeah of course and, and you know um, I had I had the equity and the lady in waiting coming to the house I had people on the phone every every other day how's, how's, how's Morvan how are you do you need anything you know they were absolutely fantastic I must admit um, the guards in London you know all the GOCs writing me letters are you alright do you need anything at all you know they were they were phenomenal and uh, 
and and that was the thing in the, the equity. My, my wife is actually as the crow flies here. My wife's about 50, 70 steps from where I'm sitting talking to you right oh, now. Oh, really? Ah, so she can keep her eye on me. That's what she said. <laughs> and, uh, so she, she said that. She said when I die, she says, put me in one of those skinny tubes for renovating a house. She says, they just, because the church is right next door to my house. Right. So she says, fire me in one of them and just put me right in the ground and that'll be fine. Oh. So, but she's, uh, aye. And, and you know, the equity came up to the funeral and this is quite a funny wee story. So the equity comes in and typical Scottish funeral, everybody was totally steaming. Oh, were they? <laughs> Been on the whiskey. So, the equity standing there, uh, his, his, his nickname was T.A., right? And uh, and he was, he's away now, he's way back to his regiment, but he was standing there, he's a soldier, and he's drinking, he was like, I can't drink too much, because the, the Duke of Edinburgh, the late Duke of Edinburgh, God rest his soul, he was, he's, he was waiting for a report on the funeral. Oh! <laughs> so, so, he, so T.A.'s on the, on, on the, on the half, say, getting, getting the drink fired and, and I think it was, I think it was, I think it was pints actually, maybe no whiskey because I think. So he had about five pints, right? And everyone's, of course, buying him drink. You know, it's the hospitality. It's yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah. keep drinking it, keep drinking it. So he got a lift and away he went to the airport. So he tells me, I got on the airplane. He said, and of course, you feel more drunk, don't you? Because yeah. you've been drinking it and he had nothing to eat. So he says, I got down there. So what I did was I had a drink on the plane because I thought I better just keep this going. <laughs> So he says, I got in and he was going to have, have dinner with the, uh, Her Majesty the late Her Majesty the Queen and, and, and the Duke of Edinburgh. And they were they were before, pre dinner drinks. And the Duke's like, Excuse the language. He says, Are you fucking drunk? He said, Yes, I am, Your Royal Highness. He says, But they, they wouldn't stop giving me drink. And I, I couldn't say no. He says, Hey, that's the bloody Scottish for you, isn't it? Wasn't <laughs> 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 a good funeral? He went, I've never seen anything like it. He was like, Brilliant, aren't they? Oh. She's not crazy. Then he and he and he, then they told them all about it eh? and just said, you know, I was sad, blah blah blah. But but you know, it was nice and and they, they were always always helpful and eh, just great people. And I went back for a, I, I did go back for a wee while, because um, Morvan had in, her health had improved, and I went back down for a few months and then, but but I knew that that was it. I was just really going down to see Chudo with people and yeah. and, eh, and and then I came home and. Eh, I got sort of a year, seven, six months off for the army, and then they just said, "Right, what do you want to do?" I said, "I can't, I can't go back. I can't, I'm done. I'm finished." And 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 I had, I was looking at my commission to be a captain, but uh, and I'd done all the, done the paperwork, started all that sort of stuff. That was that was looking good, um, because it's always handy when your when your boss is the queen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, does you right up, you know. And then uh, what happened there was sadly. Um, I didn't take that, but but it was the right thing to do, Paul. I had two young children. Yeah, decided to retire, um, and I did go to the reserves for a wee while, but I just didn't. It was still the army, so I didn't want anything to do with it. I left that, and I decided to start my own business, um, teaching bagpipes online and in person, but majority online. And I do that now. I've got all the time for my children, which is the key thing, because I'm mon- I'm mum and dad now. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of wish. I think so, someone asked me what 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 would you want to say to Morvan now. Uh, I probably I, I think the main thing I'd want to say to her is just I, I wish Morvan knew the Scott now. Yeah. Because I think until I went through that, especially at the end, 
maybe I'm just older, uh, not wiser, but certainly older. And I just think that, you know, I think I'm a better person now. Eh? I think, it's, and it's a good thing. Eh? Yeah. I think to say, um, and I've got two two wonderful children who who are great. Uh, my son's rugby daft, loves it, uh, can't get enough. My my daughter, she went for Scotland rugby trials last weekend. Brilliant. Um, she's she likes her hockey. She's going to university in the summer, um, which is phenomenal. You know, so I think I'm not doing too bad. Um, like, and I've no, no, I've no. You know, it's about getting on with your life, and I'm. You know, people are saying, oh, you know, mate, somebody else or what have you. I'm, listen, I'm here for my children. Yeah. Um, that, that's got to be my focus. Um, I had all the love for my wife that I needed. And, and I'm not saying I'll never meet somebody. But at this point, you got I just feel yeah. um, time isn't a healer. That's a lot of rubbish. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy I've had Marvin. We were only married for 13 years. Um, but what a 13 years it was she was mental uh, but that's it and that's and now I'm, I'm in a wee place called Thornhill just outside Stirling uh, teach the teach the pipes to people next generation hopefully oh, yeah. inspire some some wee young people that you didn't have to be a a brain scientist I mean who who would ever thought and I was 15 years and 9 months and I walked into Port Street in Glasgow eh, Stirling uh, I walked in the Army Careers Office and held my hand up, my right hand up, and swore allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Who would ever have thought that go forward, 25 years, I would be sleeping 75 steps away from the Queen. I would be flying with her in a private jet all over the country. She would Incredible. She would know who it was, knows my kids, you know. Absolutely fantastic. What was her favourite? Because, I mean, we absolutely adored the Queen. Absolutely, daughter, and and our mutual friend Mac McIntyre invited us to a party there and a kids' Christmas party, and she walked past us. I mean, we were just in total awe, in total awe. But what was her favourite piping? What what was her? Did she have a favourite tune, or did you have to? Um, she did. Well, she told me a couple of her favourite tunes, and what she did say to me, Paul, was never tell anybody. Oh no, it's fine. That's fine. No, 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 no. I mean, no, it doesn't. It's no, it's no about matter now. But she said at the time, she says, "Don't tell anybody your Piper friends." She says because all that's going to happen is every place I go, oh. that will end up playing. Right. So I tell you, I tell you a funny story before I tell you a favourite tune. So she was sitting, and uh, it was a breakfast, and uh, Brian McRae was the Queen's Piper, the Sovereign's Piper, from nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety six, and he was, he was, uh, he liked the drinks, right? So uh, on this occasion. He was um, he was in the in the bar and he had fell asleep in the bar. So they went and got him at uh, ten to nine. And he was still in his uniform for the night before. So they got him. He was that he was that drunk. They put him out in the garden and he stood and he played Scotland the Brave for fifteen minutes. <laughs> the Queen turned around and said, "She said I never want to hear that tune again." Right, and they literally had to run out and pull him back in because he was that drunk. Right, <laughs> right. and he was like, it was like if they'd done a carry on film, probably. The royal family, it would be, it would be a carry on royals, it would, be, it would be hilarious. Brilliant. And, um, and it was just, it was so funny, seemingly, right? But one of our favourite tunes was the Queen Elizabeth March, because I think a few people had mistakenly, when she was younger, got it mixed up with her, being her, the tune written for her, but it was actually written for uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. Right. And uh, But she always said to me that, that she was so fond of that tune 
because it, it brought back so many happy memories yeah. uh, when she was younger. And uh, that was probably one of her favourites. But she did like a little jig, you know, a jig in a hornpipe. Something that got the toes toes tapping and the fingers moving and a wee, wee sort of party tunes. And she she was very knowledgeable. But, and I've said this before, but I don't mind saying it again. I do genuinely think that she's arguably one of the greatest women. Well, she is the great, greatest woman of our uh, life. Out there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because... Uh, our knowledge of people was unbelievable. I mean, I, I would finish a day, Paul, and I would go and get my, my shoes off, get my brogues off, feet absolute killing me. And I'm thinking, I'm 44. How? She's 86, yeah. 87, you yeah. know, 90. I'm like, this is unreal. And, you know, what a, what a memory. You know, uh, unbelievable. You know, just could remember everything. You know, just people, oh, I met, I met his father in 1981. Yeah. You know, she said that to me one time, and and she, it was really funny. I remember standing, Paul, and uh, and and uh, and she was walking through, and the Queen's walking through. You know, she turns to me and says, "Chin to chest," you know, put my head down, bow. I said, "Good, good afternoon, Your Royal Highness." She says, she just looked at me, raised eyebrows, and I went, "Oh, I do apologise." Good afternoon, Your Majesty, and she grabbed me by the arm and she said, "Pipes." been 67 years since anybody's called me your highness. I says, well, I do apologise to Majesty. She went, oh, no, who knew? I loved it. <laughs> and she was just brilliant. Yeah. She's somebody that you wanted to work for. Uh, uh, that, yeah. That's it. You know, that's it. You know, just a wonderful woman. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And we, and we know her passing in September, September the 8th. We were in Australia and we'd had the heads up from a couple of friends and yeah, very sad day. But um, you know what? Her legacy will go on and on forever. Do you know? I was in I was in Italy. I was over at NATO headquarters in Napoli, and uh, I was I came back, and my my daughter phoned me and said the Queen's died, and she was bawling her eyes out. <laughs> I said, "What's wrong, pal?" She went, "The last person that ever actually cared about us as a family." just died oh and you know that's really nice that, that that you can see it that way yeah and this was devastating actually my son Fergus was more was actually more upset than the Duke of Edinburgh dying yeah he used to run down and, and they would feed the red squirrels up in Balmoral so he he'd go up for the wee cob nuts and go down and try and find them because the Duke of Edinburgh was was obsessed with with red squirrels loved them because he uh, well, I think they liked shooting the grey ones. I think it was made a day with that, but um, and because the red ones obviously are ours, and I know he was, he was just he absolutely loved it. Eh? He used to love going trying to find them. Brilliant, great. But that's nice. it. That's my wee, my wee story. Well, before <laughs> I'd, I'd give everybody the opportunity, but before we conclude this interview, have you got anything you'd like to add, alter, change, correct? Yeah, you've, no, you've been a star, sir. No pleasure to meet you. And um, uh, when you fall asleep halfway through the interview, well, I'm I'm sure they'll be captivated. Um, when you're next down here, please give us a heads up, and I'll grab hold of Mac, and we'll go and have a beer, perfect, or two. And I wish you and your family every success. Now, what I am going to do is I'm going to put all your links into the body of this podcast, so that anybody who's listening to it, if they want to do the piping, if they want to learn how to pipe, whatever, or learn all about you, um, but just tell us. What what is your website? What's your website called? Yeah, my website's uh, www.militarypiping.com. Um, quite 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 easy to remember. Uh, 
And uh, I online lessons. Uh, if you if you live nearby, you can do it in person. Um, and it, and that's it. And that's that's what I do. That's how I look after my family. Good man. Well, look, we'll we'll get that out there. And I wish you every success for the future. Thanks so much, Paul. And just a wee point to note: I've never known Mac to ever buy a pint. <laughs> Brilliant. Take care of yourself. Take care of those lovely kids as well, mate. All the best, buddy. God bless you. Cheers. Bye. All the best. Cheers. Bye.